let's talk about the gospel. I told you in this series, each week we're trying to understand the gospel, celebrate it, and be able to articulate it a little bit better when we leave here, to spread the good word about who Jesus is, what we believe, and what our faith means to us. I told you that we'd be having gospel summaries. Again, nod your head if this sounds familiar. Like, yes, I did say that. Good. I didn't forget to say that. Sometimes it's a scripture that summarizes the gospel well, or a song that we sing. Sometimes it's an image. And this week, it's an image again. And you might be familiar with this image. It is the Christian fish. Joseph, you can go ahead and put that on the screen. But that's also, I wanted to put this on the whiteboard. Uh, the Christian fish. You guys know what the Greek word for fish is? You might know. You might not realize you know it. Uh, it's ichthus. Everybody turn to somebody next to you and say, ichthus. Fancy Greek people up here. Uh, it's just the it's just the word for fish, and it's spelled like it's up there on the screen. Uh, Yoda, Chi, Theta, the next one, Upsilon, and Sigma. It looks like I X O Y E, but these are Greek letters, and it's an acronym. I don't know who came up with this, but early Christians kind of used this as a symbol to identify I'm a follower of Jesus. The acronym is uh, Yoda, stands for Jesus, which guess what? What does that mean? Jesus. Jesus. Yeah, it sounds right. Uh, Christos, what word do you think that is? Christ. Christ. Theos. God. God, you nailed it. Uh, Weos. A little different. Yeah, that one's not quite as obvious, but Weos is the word for son, and uh, Sigma is for Soter, which means Savior. So, Ichthus was a fun and clever way that they came up with to say Jesus Christ is God's Son, our Savior. He didn't have time to explain that. Or when Christianity was new, it was not popular. They were often persecuted. Christianity was underground. Christians kind of were secretive about what they believed. There's stories about how if a Christian believed and uh, was around somebody else that might believe or they're in public, they maybe would draw of an ichthus symbol in the dirt with their foot, kind of like this like half line. And if another believer was like, oh, I know what you're doing, they would kind of draw the other line. They would complete the ichthus image, and then that was sort of a secret code for identifying other Christians. Isn't that cool? You can say uh, what you know about Jesus, you can preach a long sermon, you can explain the resurrection and that Jesus was the Son of God and all of this, or you can have this on your car. Better not flip anybody off when you're driving, because you are representing Christ, you are saying, I am a gospel person. I got a story, I could tell you a story about that sometime, another time. Uh, but the ichthus has become kind of shorthand for a believer, follower of Jesus. I believe in the resurrection. I believe that he is risen. So we talked about the first week. I believe that God is becoming king and I want his kingdom to come and I want Jesus to be the king, the Lord of my life. You can say all that or you can just draw this. Wear this. This kind of like summarizes your faith. Uh, it was a symbol or a summary of the gospel that was proclaimed in messages like Peter's that he preached at Pentecost 50 days after uh, the resurrection of Jesus, after the Passover came Pentecost. Remember, Jesus told them, stay in Jerusalem because something cool is going to happen. That's when the Holy Spirit came down, and uh, this is sort of the background. Peter gets up, and he gives this amazing speech. It's like the sermon of all sermons. And I want you to hear how Peter explains the gospel to the people who were listening. 
Acts 2, 22 through 24, and then we'll skip. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Whoops. Uh-oh. But, here's the good news, God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And then I'm skipping through a part where he talks a lot about the Psalms and he talks about David and just makes a lot of references that his Jewish audience would have like resonated with, but we're jumping down and continuing with the gospel message. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet. Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Promises for you and your children and all who are far off, or all whom our, the Lord our God will call. Many people heard the gospel. They heard the good news about the thing that happened, the news about Jesus. They heard it that day because the message was preached. It was proclaimed by Peter. When you go to a Bible app or like Bible Gateway or wherever you go on your computer to do a word search for like what's in the Bible, where can I find out about sin? Or let's say you type in the word gospel you'll see something, the results you'll get will look something like this. Joseph, show us that first slide. Now, don't worry, I don't expect you to be able to read this. But, I put all the word gospels in bold. So, this is just, you do a word search, it says like, here's where it says gospels. First one shows up in Matthew, which means the word doesn't show up in the Old Testament, but you get to Matthew and Mark, and the person who's usually talking about the gospel is Jesus, and you get a result that looks like this. And as you look at this page, and you can go and do this on your own, you may notice that there's a word that's paired with gospel that shows up almost as often as gospel itself. Show us the next slide, Joseph. It's the word preached. The gospel was preached. The gospel must be preached. The gospel will be preached. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. And as you scroll down on the list, you, got, you get to Acts. This is where this speech from Peter came from, Acts chapter 2. But the gospel, the word gospel appears a lot in Acts. And Joseph, show us the next slide. There's uh, gospel showing up in Acts a whole lot. Now give us the next slide. You also notice the word preached shows up. Now this time it's almost every single one of them. And the one where it doesn't say preached, if Peter's saying, brothers, you know it's some time ago God made a choice that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. He doesn't use the word preach, but he's talking about speaking. He's talking about preaching. This is curious, right? It seems like 
the gospel and preaching go together. Now let's do some more Greek. I feel like smart Greek scholars. The word for uh, preaching in the New Testament is keruso. You can say that out loud. Keruso. You even said it in a fun inflection way that I taught you. It's, it means preach, but it can also mean proclaim. It can also mean herald, like a messenger comes in, hey, this is the thing. Or another word that came up was publish, something that was published, going on record with this particular message. That is what the gospel is supposed to be done. We know that what Peter did in Acts chapter 2 was not the only time Peter did that, and nor was Peter the only person who did the preaching, the announcing, the proclaiming. You get this from Mary and the women at the tomb right as soon as they discovered that Jesus was not dead. Philip did this. John and James, Priscilla and Aquila, Lydia, Luke, Paul, they all proclaimed, they announced, they preached, heralded, and published the good news that Jesus was God in the flesh, raised from the tomb after suffering the cross, and that he is becoming king. They identified themselves as believers and followers of Jesus, and they invited others to believe and follow Jesus as well. That is how the gospel spread, because it was preached. That's how it got from Jerusalem to Asia Minor, into Africa, west into Europe, eventually across the seas and across the mountains, into Asia, into the Americas. That's the only reason we know about Jesus today, is because it was preached. The gospel spread. I see this, and I can't help but think the gospel is something that was meant to be preached. You might think, it's not surprising to hear you say that. Jacob, you are a preacher. After all, you seem to like preaching, but not everybody does. Preaching has something of a negative reputation in our society. Outside of church, and maybe even within church. Uh, you don't have to weigh in on that one, but think about it. People will often tell someone, ah, I don't know, I think, uh, don't preach at me. Someone starts to give instructions or tell you what you should do with your life. I don't need you to preach at me. Save your sermons, people will say. See, like, uh, how was that documentary on climate change? I don't know, I thought it was a little bit preachy. You ever hear people? That word is kind of used for some negative. Like, I don't need preaching in my life. So that's strike one against preaching publicly. The other part is uh, the, the public nature of it. Public speaking is something that not a lot of people are fans of. They do polls and they ask people questions like, what are your greatest fears? And consistently, the one that shows up, number one, is public speaking. It is higher than fighters. It is higher than being buried alive or heights or death itself. So at a funeral, people would rather be the person in the casket than the person standing up giving the eulogy. People don't like public speaking. Some people do, not everybody does. So that's strike number two. Public speaking, uh, it's not for everybody. And maybe I shouldn't have given you guys what is one of the best sermons that has ever been recorded. Peter at Pentecost, that's kind of a high standard to live up to. It seemed like Peter was waiting his whole life to give what is one of the most polished and concise and powerful sermons. It's like he was Mr. Pulpit. He showed up and he was like, all right, here comes the best sermon. We're setting the standard pretty high. Maybe that's intimidating and maybe that's bad news for the gospel that was intended to be preached. 
But maybe we need to think about this a little bit differently. Maybe we need a different definition of what it means to preach the gospel. Maybe it's not just a sermon. Maybe it's not public speaking. Maybe it's not something that just happens on Sunday, and maybe it's not the formal presentation that we think of it being. Maybe that's not even what happened in Acts 2 on that Sunday morning. Because I call it a sermon. We call it Peter's speech. And, you know, it was recorded by Luke, and it was recounted like, oh, man, this is what he said. But let's take a look at what Peter actually did and maybe not set the standard so high that it's unreachable. First of all, you'll notice, if you look at this, that Peter began what he said with my fellow Israelites. So we see that Peter was among his own people. This was not a cold call. This was not a bunch of strangers that he had to work up the nerve to get up and stand up in front of. I don't know that he knew everybody personally, but he was in good company. He was among his people. So maybe preaching isn't just sharing our faith with strangers on the street. Maybe it's done among people who are like us. Something to keep in mind. Another thing to notice is that what Peter did was a response to something that happened. Remember, we set the context. The Holy Spirit came down, and people were speaking in different languages, and people showed up and were like, why are these guys so drunk? I guess irresponsibly. No, no, no. They're not drunk. Let me explain what happened. Jesus said this would happen. This is God's promised Holy Spirit. You're seeing this, and he basically just, just explained something that happened. The right explanation for the right question at the right time. So maybe preaching isn't us trying to insert our prepared remarks into a conversation as much as it is responding to something that happened or a topic that comes up in conversation. The third thing to notice is what Peter did was simply witness. He uses this word. We're witnesses of this. We're just telling you what we saw, what we've heard, what we witnessed. You can do with it whatever you like. It may seem like a prepared speech that he could have given on a Sunday morning. He seems like he covers so much ground, like he had his Psalms references ready to go and his slides were in perfect shape and he's talking about David and all this. Like, whoa, how did he know all this stuff? 3,000 people responded and were baptized. I've never been able to do that. We would run out of water in our baptistry if I could pull that off. But maybe preaching doesn't mean comprehensive course explaining every detail along the way. But maybe it's just saying what we know, saying what we've seen Jesus do in the Gospels and in our own lives. So how do we preach? What does preaching or proclaiming the Gospel look like? It doesn't have to be this. We preach the gospel with the way that we love people. Anybody agree with that? Does that sound right? We love God. We love one another. We love our neighbors. When we love our enemies, we preach the gospel with our lives, our actions, our good deeds among our neighbors. I heard a phrase one time that goes, people won't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's nice because that's a cool reversal of words. But I also think it's true you know, you could go to somebody and start giving them the facts about Jesus, but usually this is done among people we know, in relationship. Or by the good deeds that we've done, people will see the light of Christ and the, the, the person of Christ, and then maybe they're more receptive to hearing the facts, the details 
how do we preach today? I think people will see the gospel when they look at the way that we love and care for one another within the church. 1 John 1, uh, 3.16, not John 3.16, but 1 John 3.16 says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. It goes on to say, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother and sister in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in that person? The invitation is, dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. We love with our actions. Here is a, here's a phrase I often hear Christians say, and I wish it was never said. You ready? Now be careful, because I might step on some toes here. My guess is, you know this phrase, and you already like this phrase, but go with me. The phrase is a quote from what people say is Francis of Assisi, but I don't think he actually said this. Uh, the quote is, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Hmm, that's nice. Okay, that's kind of like I see what they're saying. We preach the gospel with our actions. That's just that's what I've been talking about. People will see that we're Jesus people when we hold the door for someone. When we say God bless you, and we trim the hedges of our neighbors, and we do these kind deeds. I have to start by saying yes, do that. Do the good deeds. Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in you. But the reason I wish this phrase had never been said is because I believe a lot of Christians stop there. Preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. They do the first half. My actions preach the gospel. My being a good citizen preaches the gospel. Me being polite and kind to people I interact with preaches the gospel. I don't have to use words because they're not necessary. I don't know about that. I think maybe we should ask ourselves, are we using that phrase as an excuse for not speaking up for Christ? Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How can they then call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? I'm not talking about this kind of preaching. I'm talking about the other kind of preaching. The times when we could say, this, my good actions and what I believe, but this is why. This is the gospel in me, lived out. Think about this. Back to the ictus. This was born at a time when Christianity was, uh, like I said, persecuted. It was dangerous to be a Christian. They came up with a silent, wordless way of identifying yourself as a follower of Jesus. What does it look like for us to preach the gospel today? I think it's somewhere in between the two of these. I think if we think it's this, or it's this, this is the sermon, this is in the church on Sunday, what Peter did, ah, amazing, I could never do that. It's not that. Somewhere more over here. But if we go too far in this direction, then what we have is a silent and a coded message that people may not be able to decipher on their own. I think at some point in between these two, we need to speak up for Jesus. We need to preach. We need to proclaim the gospel. 
And we're going to talk about what that looks like. We've been talking about that in our evangelism class, specifically what to say, when to say it, how to say it. Next week, I'm going to talk about discipleship and give you guys some real practical tools to say, hey, what, is it, what does it look like to bring discipleship into our relationships outside of church and into our conversations? I just want to ask a question and just vision, dream a little bit with this church. Because I hear people in this congregation sometimes say, you know what, I want my relatives to hear the gospel. I want my neighbors to hear the gospel. And I invite them to church, but they won't come. Shoot. Bummer. In a way, we kind of have a model that says one day a week, one person from the church is going to stand up and they're going to preach the gospel. And anybody who's within earshot of it can hear it and can benefit from it. But the comments I'm hearing from people are declining attendance. And this isn't just us. This is the Western church in general. People are saying, I don't do Sundays. I don't do sermons. I don't do church. They haven't given up on Jesus. They're not done with Christian community. It's just maybe our model is trying to funnel in people into too narrow of a walkway. So dream with me for a little bit. What if instead of one person, once a week, preaching to 70 people, what if 70 people went out seven days a week and preached the message and shared the gospel and identified themselves as people who believe that Jesus Christ is God's son, that he is our savior, that he is the resurrected Jesus, and we want him to be king of our lives? What would happen? I don't know. Maybe none of the people who heard that message would ever show up on a Sunday, and I'd go, oh, man, it didn't work. We didn't get more people here on a Sunday morning. I don't think that's what it's about. I think more people hear the good news. Yeah. Call on the name of Jesus. They'll turn their attention toward what does it mean to live into God's kingdom? Things that we see, things that we model, things that we'll demonstrate, we are inviting people into. You may not have realized that We've been kind of equipping ourselves to do this, and we're going to continue equipping ourselves to do just what I'm, what I'm envisioning, what I'm describing. We've been doing this in our time together on Sunday mornings, around the communion table. I've asked people to reflect on, who told you about Jesus? I've asked you guys, sit for a minute and think about who shared the gospel, the life-saving, the life-giving gospel good news with you. Doesn't that make you want to share it with someone else? Isn't it our responsibility to pay that message forward? We've asked people around the communion table, what is it about Jesus that makes you want to follow him? And they could say, it's love, salvation. He makes me whole. You can say that in here. Why can't you say that out there? We've been preparing uh, ourselves to bring the gospel message into the world. Last week, I said, turn to somebody next to you tell me something Jesus said about serving, loving, or forgiving. I bet most of you were able to do that. Oh yeah, we should do those things. Love God, love neighbors. We should serve, wash feet, lay down your life. This is things that Jesus said. We know parts of the gospel. We know what we believe about Jesus. We can share that with people outside of our church walls. We can tell people that we believe that he's the risen son of God. I'm following him into a life of forgiveness and love and service. Good news needs to be preached, it needs to be spoken, it needs to be articulated, it needs to be published out there even more than it is in here. Here's my challenge for you. This week, 
I want to challenge you to use your words to let somebody know that you believe in Jesus. Identify yourself as a Christian to someone who doesn't know whether or not you're a Christian. If you've been going by the, if necessary, use words model, now's the time to catch that. <laughs> People have seen your good deeds, now's your chance to explain that. You're like, I don't know if I ever mentioned this, but because I try to be a servant like Jesus. You can let somebody know, I believe there's a God who hears our prayers and I'll be praying for you. I believe in loving God and loving my neighbor because that's what Jesus called me to do. When I come back, when we come back here next week, I would love for all of you to be able to say, this is the person who found out that I follow Jesus and why I follow Jesus. We can celebrate that together next week. I know that might be a tall order. It's a longer conversation. You can ask me, how are you doing that, Jacob? And I, I'll tell you honestly, some days I do that better than others. It's a challenge, but it's exciting if we all say, what would happen? We just got good at articulating what we believe. Took those opportunities to share our faith and invite people into this good thing that we found. Yeah. Let me pray, and then we'll get the praise team to come back up here uh, and remind us that we love to tell the story of Jesus and his love. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the gospel that has been preached, that was preached across the generations, that was preached to us in our own lives, that we preach to ourselves and we remind ourselves of the gospel that defines us, who we are in Christ, and commissions us each week to go out and live like Jesus and for Jesus. But God, I pray that people who won't come to church, people who haven't heard the gospel, will hear it from us, that they'll see it in our lives and they'll hear it from our lips. Give us boldness, give us opportunity to do what Peter did, to respond to something that happened, to respond to a question, to just witness something we know and believe about Jesus, to be among our own people and say, yeah, I follow Jesus, here's why. God, I pray this prayer for myself, I pray this for my brothers and sisters in the room and those listening online, and we pray that your kingdom will come. We pray that we can plant seeds and that we will see growth, that we will see this take root in people's hearts and it will bear fruit and that you'll receive all the glory as your kingdom comes more and more each day. We pray that you will uh, be more powerful than our own fears, and our own doubts, and the, the ways that we talk ourselves out of talking about Jesus. I just pray for a revival. I pray that you will restore us embolden us to be ambassadors for Christ. We ask all this in his powerful name. Amen. Praise team's going to come up here and lead us in our last song, and then we're going to spend some time praying for one another.